Hey everybody, it is Monday, January 28th, 2019, and you're listening to the Salvage Title Scrap Stories episode here. Uh, of course, I'm the host, Brad Eisledyke, and while I normally talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever, uh, we use these scrap stories to just kind of clear up some automotive thoughts that are bouncing around in my head that are potentially worth noting uh, as we kind of get into the week. And... Here on this episode, we're going to talk about uh, some final notes on the Detroit Auto Show. I went on the final day of the show yesterday, made it across the state in one piece uh, two times, and uh, figured I would share some thoughts, um, some notes, some weird feelings that kind of came out of this show. Um, but before we get to all of that, uh, this is the part where I remind you that, uh, we do the show twice a week, normally on Monday or Tuesday for a short episode, and then on Friday for the big show where we do highlight news and other things. Um, if you want to follow back on previous episodes of the show, definitely recommend heading on over to Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N, uh, where you can see those. Otherwise, we do post all of these episodes for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So if you're there, make sure you give it a subscribe. Uh, if they let you do a rating, give us a rating. I'd really appreciate it. It helps other people see this show. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, after a quick bump and a little advertisement, uh, we'll get to talking about the Detroit show uh, all together. So we count on over to Detroit yesterday. Wide variety of weather problems, as always this time of year. We're currently dealing with a huge snowstorm here in the Great Lakes region. Had a big ass-kicking happen across the uh, street, the lake, over in Wisconsin. Uh, We got a ton of snow today in West Michigan. It sounds like we're going to have horrible weather all week. But Detroit, it was there yesterday, and we went. Uh, It was the last day of the show. People were tired. uh, The cars were worn out. I think uh, a lot of the folks who were there were hoping it would be a little less busy. And I will say uh, I was kind of surprised how busy it was considering all of the bad weather that was around. I think a lot of people are excited to see new cars, uh, concept vehicles, so much else. But the overarching feeling I had at this show was of slight disappointment. And by that, I mean, you know, Detroit in of itself and really auto shows in general just aren't what they used to be. Uh, I remember going to Detroit many, many years ago, over a decade ago, uh, just as Detroit was kind of getting ready to be in the serious trouble uh, years for themselves. I want to say we're talking like early aughts here. Uh, This would have been the year that I think... Dodge unveiled that motorcycle that had the uh, V10 engine, I think it was the Tomahawk concept. Uh, this also would have been right around the time that the uh, Dodge Razor concept was a thing. Uh, the original Pontiac G6 uh, concept car, so many things like that. Would that era. You know, you'd go to this show and these car makers would have these insane displays and stands and they would have all these concept cars and they'd be talking about all these wonderful things that they're doing uh, to keep moving this segment of the economy forward, to build things that people want to buy, that people love to drive and experience. And this year, 
you got almost none of that. And it was really disappointing. I, I Most stands were just big LCDs with some space to put some cars on some spinning stands. There were a couple young men and women standing around with iPads to take your information about some of the vehicles or to get you some information about some things. And it just really didn't feel like it was a labor of, of love, really, in any way. And, you know, to say that the love for the automobile is dying, I think, is somewhat the case. But I really have to feel to some extent that that is due in part to the way that a lot of these brands are handling themselves right now. Uh, we walked in uh, at the end of the building that housed Ford uh, to start, and when you walked into the Ford display area, I thought they had one of the more creative, innovative displays with these stacked containers and this interesting showroom area where they pulled cars out every half hour or an hour uh, to talk about a new vehicle. And in the end, you know, I, I, I think visually it was cool, but it was also really sad to kind of see this big brand only pulling out, you know, what amounts to less than 10 vehicles on their display floor. And by that, I mean, you know, Ford, like I said, in so many episodes, they're getting rid of their small cars, they're getting rid of the sedans. So all that they had out there was the Ford Ranger, the Ford Escape, uh, the Ford EcoSport, the uh, F-150, the Ford GT, the Edge, the new Explorer, and the Mustang. That's it. There was nothing else there. And you compare that to Chevrolet, who is stanced across the walkway from Ford, where their display space is still set up for a company that has one of the widest portfolios of vehicles of any auto manufacturer in the world. And Chevrolet had the gall to still bring out all of these cars and trucks that aren't going to that aren't going to exist a year from now. They had the Impala, they had the Sonic, they had the Cruze, they had the Volt. None of those cars are going to exist in the not-too-distant future, and yet they had multiples of each of them out there for you to experience. And while I appreciate that, I appreciate that they're trying to get people interested in their cars that they produce, in the end, what's the point? And even then, most of their display space still consisted of the Silverado, still consisted of the Colorado, and, you know, the Silverado is just not a very well-liked vehicle right now. <sighs> so that was a little weird. And then it was also the brands that weren't there. Brands like BMW, Mercedes, Volvo uh, did not have any presence at the show whatsoever. Uh, no Porsche, no Rolls-Royce, no Lamborghini, Ferrari, uh, really any major luxury brands. Even Maserati wasn't on the FCA uh, display area. And that many of the display areas that were there didn't really consist of more of either decorated carpet with some LCD screens or a small stand-up stand with the spinning wheel and a couple of people and an LCD screen. And you kind of really came away thinking there really wasn't a point to any of this. And it was, it just felt really weird this year. And I had, Clap, hand claps to brands that still commit uh, to showing off interesting stuff. I think Kia had a pretty interesting display for the Telluride. Uh, you know, Buick, for the overall lack of vehicles that they had, uh, had a very visually interesting display. Cadillac had a wonderful one, which was very strange. Uh, but oddly enough, the only brand that had a really massive presence 
uh, is a brand that currently isn't selling cars here, and that is GAC Motors, otherwise known as Trumpchi Motors over in China. Uh, if you haven't been following along with the Detroit Auto Show the past few years, GAC has been bringing a bunch of their vehicles to the show to kind of show off, to get people to understand that in China they're a big player and that they can build uh, nice quality vehicles uh, for not too much money. And I have to say that to some extent, I think they are the thing that I took most away from this Detroit Auto Show is that the Chinese car companies are coming really soon and really fast. And a lot of car companies need to be really worried about what kind of things they're producing. Uh, vehicles of note from the GAC stand, uh, nothing really in particular. I think it was one called the GS5, uh, was one that kind of stood out to me as one that was particularly interesting. Uh, it's kind of a small, mid-sized crossover. Think something along the size of a, uh, Honda CRV or perhaps a, uh, uh, Nissan Rogue, somewhere around there. Uh, had pretty comfortable amounts of space for seating for at least five people, uh, but you know, you're not gonna necessarily write home about your wonderful experience in this car. But overall, you know, the build quality was, I would say, acceptable, if not on par with a previous generation Korean car. Uh, these days, Korean cars are much better, even than some of their Japanese and American counterparts. Uh, but this, you know, not far excuse me, not far off of where things were about five, six years ago. Uh, I didn't really get a lot of details about what kind of engines or transmissions are in these things, uh, but really the technology and build quality seems to be there with these cars. Now, GAC is saying that they want to have cars on sale in the U.S. by 2020 or 2021, uh, and they join a long list of Chinese car companies that are claiming uh, to do the same. Uh, but really, as a brand, I think they have done an awful lot to solidify themselves as a potential entry into the market very soon. Now, whether or not that will happen with Chinese auto import tariffs and so much else remains to be seen, but if we do truly believe in a free and open market, uh, these cars will likely be here very soon, and I have to admit, I'm very interested to see what will happen. Now, as far as other cars and trucks and SUVs are concerned, uh, one thing of interest to me uh, personally was the Ford Ranger, and I think the one thing that kind of doesn't really get across when you see a Ford Ranger, at least in person versus that of photos online, is that it is truly not a very large pickup truck and it does have a very car-like interior. Uh, I would say that compared to a Colorado, a Tundra, a Canyon, um, anything like that, uh, those are largely vehicles that I feel like you sit upon and you kind of, like a stagecoach almost, you're kind of riding with it, uh, versus the Ranger, which seems much more car-like, much more like the Honda Ridgeline where you're sitting in it, it kind of wraps around you. Um, the interior appointments were quite nice, and the one that I sat in, of course, it was a Lariat model, so it is the top trim Ranger. Um, they didn't have any lower spec models for you to check out. Uh, but I really came away with feeling like the Ranger is a very appropriately sized pickup truck for a wide variety of people, and uh, at least in terms of pricing performance, it seems like it is a good buy for a lot of folks. 
Comparing that one in particular to another new pickup truck uh, that got announced previously uh, was the Jeep Gladiator. Uh, the Jeep Gladiator is basically a Jeep Wrangler with a pickup truck bed, and at least comparing apples to apples, the Ranger to the Gladiator, I don't see why anybody would buy the Jeep. Like, I get that the Jeep does have a pretty high towing capacity for its category, uh, but the bed size is really shallow. Uh, it doesn't really seem to pack a whole lot of material in behind the second row seats, uh, but it does have the innovative uh, thing of not having a roof, and some people might enjoy that. Uh, but when it comes to day-to-day -day drivability, practicality, usability, I think I'd much rather spend the 35 grand or so that most rangers are going to end up trading for. Another thing that kind of interests me, at least in terms of pickup trucks, was comparing the Ranger to the base trim uh, Ram 1500. Uh, as of right now, Fiat does not have any plans to sell a mid-size pickup truck in the lineup, much to the chagrin of, I think, many uh, FAs or, yeah, uh, FAC, FCA, there we go, that's the correct uh, acronym, uh, FCA fans out there. Uh, the Ram 1500, you know, starts at a pretty low price uh, in certain trim levels and equipment, and I sat in a pretty modestly equipped uh, Bighorn 1500 with the V6 and a 4x4 setup, and I came away, you know, relatively impressed. I think the big takeaway is that uh, the appointments in the interior of the vehicle overall are really nice, like pretty decently high quality uh, touches, technology. Um, it really seems like it would be a good vehicle to live with every single day. And with the fuel economy of that hybrid system, you know, you should be able to get some decent miles per gallon out of it to make it an everyday vehicle if necessary. Uh, the big hang-up, of course, on that particular truck that I was looking at is that the cab configuration was the shorter of the two made available, which I think is the, I think it's the crew cab. I always get confused on the way that uh, Chrysler uh, names all their stuff, but it's a, it is a four-door pickup truck, but it's got the shorter width in the back seat. Um, sitting behind myself as a six-foot-tall, 200-pound American man, I was a little cramped. I could sit back there for some periods of time, but I wouldn't be able to drive across state uh, riding back there. Uh, I would get pretty uncomfortable pretty quick. Uh, but if you just got kids, I think it'd be more than okay for most folks. Whether or not you would want to buy that truck versus the uh, Ford Ranger, I think is really a tale of you know, what kind of capacity you need, what kind of things that you need to be getting done. Uh, I think I might spring for the Ranger in that situation, even though you are technically getting less truck and in some cases for more money. Uh, but in the end, I think the Ranger just would work for me much better. I think the overarching thing for the show for me uh, outside of the pickup truck stuff of interest was that crossovers are everywhere, they are everything, and uh, there are some that I'm okay with and there are others that I am not. Uh, you know, the Nissan Kicks I've talked a lot about on the show, I still like very much. I think that is one of a few of the pseudo crossovers uh, that really does a good job of maintaining size and performance of a car without... Uh, giving you too much of a dumb attitude about what you're actually driving every single day. Uh, other vehicles that I think don't really kind of scratch that itch are many of the things that are in the GM lineup, and of that in particular is the Blazer. 
Uh, I talked a few weeks ago about the pricing of that vehicle and how much I disagree uh, with the fact that it is $50,000 for a decently equipped version. And boy, oh boy, seeing it in person, touching it, feeling it, uh, even less convinced that $50,000 makes it anything reasonable uh, to purchase for just about anybody. Uh, the model I sat in was a uh, RS model equipped with four-wheel drive in the V6. Uh, they didn't have a window sticker on it, but if I remember correctly, it's right, either just short or just above 50K when you configure it online that way. And while, you know, build quality in it is okay, you know, for an American car, pretty good. Compared to a Korean car, not quite. Compared to a Japanese car, uh-uh. Uh, I, I just really came away disappointed. Um, the size of the vehicle, I think, is the most difficult thing to describe. Um, it is much larger than an Equinox, but it's not nearly as large as a Traverse. And so I think on the size scale, that puts it somewhere in between a Terrain and an Acadia. It's difficult to kind of parse out. And what I said back a while ago when I talked about pricing on that vehicle was that for the money, you can get a much nicer vehicle and an Acura RDX. And I know that there were some people online that pointed out that the RDX is technically a smaller vehicle, and they are correct. But at the same time, I would go, for the way that most people are going to use these two vehicles for the markets that they're going to compete within, the RDX makes 11 times more sense when you consider, one, that it's an Acura, it's going to be much more reliable, the material quality is much better, uh, the fit and finish overall is much better, two, it's going to maintain its value much better over time because, well, it's an Acura, and three, you know, it's going to be more fun to drive, arguably. Chevy was talking a big game about how sporty and Camaro-inspired and all that stuff uh, that it was at the auto show, but the reality of the situation is that I don't really think it's going to live up to those kinds of expectations. Time will tell. These things are out at dealers. Uh, one of these days when I have some time, when it's not snowing, you know, 12 inches of snow in a day, I'll have to go take uh, a much closer look at one and perhaps share some more interesting thoughts with you. Uh, other crossovers and things like that of note, I think really for me, it was the Hyundai Palisade and the Kia Telluride. They were giving out Kia Telluride uh, drive experiences. I didn't have enough time to go through that, uh, but they did look and sound quite good on that off-road course. Uh, I did not realize that the Telluride was using an independent rear suspension, so that should make it a pretty nice riding vehicle out on the highway and on most city streets, but in terms of off-road capability, uh, it may not be the best thing overall. I think Kia kind of knows that uh, to a point this thing isn't going to go climb a mountain, uh, but it should be cap more than capable enough to get in and out of your local uh, ski facility or uh, small two tracks or stuff like that. It'll get the job done. Uh, between the two, you know, I really think the Kia is the stronger one. Uh, not that the Palisade isn't well done. I think the interior appointments of the Palisade are really of no compare. Uh, I really came away with the imp or, or came away impressed with the build quality of the materials. You know, many of the soft touch areas that you would expect were done really well. A lot of use of metal, uh, you know, nice leather, things like that were there, but it was the uh, 
roof, uh, the interior uh, headlining uh, that was this really soft, like suede, like micro suede like material that really felt good and it looked great. And I'm sure it's an expensive option on the vehicle, um, but it was unlike anything that I had seen, even in much more expensive vehicles. And I thought that was a really good touch from Hyundai. Uh, the third row seat is usable for somebody my size, uh, but I think most people who are going to be buying this SUV would probably be driving it in a two-row configuration most of the time, and I think in that situation, it's more than enough. But compared to the Telluride, uh, the Telluride really seems to be the stronger design, in my opinion. It looks more truck-like. Uh, the interior appointments seem to be much more spread out, a little more spacious. I really like the mini Range Rover look of the Telluride. Uh, it's It just seems to have this je ne sais quoi, if you will, uh, about about its overall look, and it really just comes off as the stronger uh, option. I finally figured out what the name of that greenish coppery whatever color is. It's called uh, Black Moss, which is really an interesting name for a color. Uh, not something uh, to get in necessarily today, but color names always can be a little weird. And Black Moss has a pretty interesting look to it in your brain when you kind of think of it. And I think it does describe the color of the vehicle really well, but if it were me, that's the only color I would get that vehicle in. Uh, it, it is just stunning in that color with black wheels. Uh, so if you haven't looked, all the photos are up online. It looks like a really great SUV. I'm really excited to see it uh, even more in depth in person. They didn't have any Tellurides uh, open that you could see on the show stands, but uh, just peering into them, it really looks like a really well done vehicle. Now, I do like to talk about EVs a lot on this show, and there were a smattering of EVs uh, at the show overall. Uh, I think the big highlight, of course, is the Hyundai Kona EV, and uh, today pricing did get announced a little more succinctly for these models, and uh, while the base trim does start at 36075 or something like that, with the tax incentives and all that, it's south of $30,000 uh, with the federal tax incentives. And uh, although the model that they were showing off uh, at the show was, I believe, an ultimate trim, uh, I think the standard model is going to be more than enough for most people uh, to keep pretty happy. Uh, the interior quality is, you know, what you'd expect in a Hyundai these days. Pretty damn good uh, at par or better than some Japanese vehicles. Uh, it was just a good-looking car, and it really just seems like it's going to be something that a lot of people will be able to use daily uh, and make a good, good vehicle for a lot of people. The Kia Niro EV was also there. You know, more or less, same thing. Slightly narrower, a little bit longer, depending on what kind of you know use you want to get out of it each day. Uh, really kind of determines where you're going to go there. I think between the two, I might be a little more inclined to go for the Kona. I have a feeling that uh, my SO would be a little more interested in the uh, Nero, but I think it could kind of swap at any given time, uh, depending on what's going on. The, the color that they had on the display at the Kia stand for the Nero EV was black with like this teal trim on it, and that just looked visually really cool compared to the uh, Kona EV, which was like this pearl white uh, with some other uh, silvery accents that made it look a little more angelic and a little more different. Uh, other EVs on the stands, well, you know, it really kind of depends on where you're going and what you want to see. 
Uh, I think the uh, one of the more interesting EVs out there was an EV from GAC, of all companies. Uh, more or less, it looks like a Chinese Chevrolet Bolt. Uh, no, nothing about what kind of battery size it has, nothing about what kind of power the motor makes, uh, nothing about what kind of range it has. It just was there, and it was an EV. Uh, something like that, I think, is a pretty interesting car, again, to me, where, you know, if it has, you know, most of the performance of a Bolt for 70 or 80% the price, this is where I do the shrug emoji reacting to that. Uh, EVs are going to be great for being reliable no matter where they came from or where they come from for the most part. So I don't know. It's going to be an interesting car if it ever ends up coming to the United States. Uh, but really, we didn't see a whole lot of other EV entries from a lot of other car companies. There were concepts that were EVs from Nissan and Infiniti. Uh, there were some electrified uh, models offered by other brands, you know, from uh, Lincoln and Ford and many others, but there there wasn't this big push for electrification. And again, I think that kind of is a note based on the continued growth of crossovers and SUVs for so many brands. Now, we can't leave talking about Detroit without talking about just cars in general, and there were a great number of cars in general at this show. I think the big player, of course, is the Toyota Supra, uh, the car that we've been waiting for for a great number of years. Uh, the Supra looked absolutely great uh, in all three colors they had there. They had a white, a matte gray, and a black, or excuse me, a red. Uh, the red looks fantastic, although I do feel like it hides the taillights in a way that I don't really care for. Uh, the white showed off the uh, fake vents a lot that I think people were really upset about and maybe didn't do the car a lot of favors, but the matte gray really seemed to be a nice balance between both of those things. Um, it's a great car. There was one guy that was there at the stand who was complaining about how it's not going to be fast enough compared to the old uh, Supra, and I was just like, yo, dude, read a book. This thing's going to smoke the old Supra on a straight line and probably through corners too. It's not going to be a tough fight. Uh, so I'm pretty happy about the new car. Um, but there were definitely people there who were not super happy about it. Uh, staking in the Toyota booth for a second, uh, the new Corolla four-door sedan looked fantastic. I'm really excited to see that car and touch it in person. They had it as a locked prototype there that was not on a stand. Um, one thing that did strike me about the Corolla in particular uh, is how low it rides. Uh, that car was shockingly low. Uh, I don't know if they had it on a uh, different trim level. I think the the standard sedan they were showing was an XSE model, uh, but uh, it almost seemed like it had cut springs to some extent. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what's going on. Now granted, Toyota does use very plush carpets on it, so I'm sure the car did sink to some extent through that. Um, but it's it's interesting to see that Toyota is still spending that money on that sweet sedan budget and uh, I think this is going to be a very successful car going forward, especially when so many car makers are continuing to, continuing to abandon the segment of vehicles. And I think Toyota is going to have a lot of fans that they're going to be able to get back into their lineup uh, with this new car. I did spend some time with the new Nissan Altima as well. Um, one thing that struck me about that car is just how much larger it has gotten 
over the years. Uh, lengthwise, you know, this thing may as well be a Nissan Maxima at this point. Uh, I remember the Altima that my stepmom had many years ago, which I think was a 2003 or a 2004 model. Uh, it was when the, uh, the first big update to the Altima happened after the original uh, sedan had come out, and uh, I really enjoyed that car a lot. It was a big-ish car for its time, uh, but now this thing is just massive. Um, I really felt like the interior was quite comfortable. I came away really impressed with the overall uh, way that they have appointed the vehicle. Um, I'm definitely curious to know what one drives like, and I hear that the uh, ProPilot Assist works pretty well in the new Altima compared to many of the other cars in the current lineups for uh, their vehicles. So. Yeah, I mean, for $27,000, $28,000 to get a semi-autonomous vehicle uh, that gets, you know, well over 30 miles per gallon on the highway, it seems like a pretty interesting car to purchase for a lot of folks. And really, you know, in terms of other cars and other things, well, there wasn't really much to highlight. The uh, Lexus LC500 concept, uh, convertible concept, looked absolutely magnificent. Uh, but they weren't really saying a whole lot about the car. There were a wide variety of other things that were there, um, but nothing really to write home about. But I think overall, the big message from this show is that I think people are ready to be done with the winter time. I think people are ready to be done uh, with the way that this building is set up. I think people are ready to move this thing outside and see a lot more cars in person and see them moving in action. And I think that is going to be very exciting uh, but I just hope that whoever's planning the show is able to pull it off because I think one bad year is really going to spell a lot of trouble for the Detroit Auto Show going forward. And, uh, you know, really, we're kind of on the end of auto shows in general, and that is very sad, and I hope things turn out pretty okay going forward. Well, anyway, guys, uh, that is the uh, ramblings of a madman talking about uh, the Detroit Auto Show for 2019. Uh, if you've got any questions about anything, if you've got some thoughts about anything, uh, feel free to drop me a line here at anchor.fm at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. You can reach out to me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. Uh, like I said, we do this podcast uh, two times a week, usually on Monday or Tuesday, and then drop the big episode on Friday. We also do the uh, salvage title Car Buyer's Guide, where we talk about a particular segment of vehicles, uh, name three that I think are the best options to go for, and then pick a fourth model for flavor. That fourth one might not always be the best car, but at the very least, it's one worth paying attention to. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, guys, I hope you have a good start to your week. I hope you, if you are in a snowy area, you're driving safely, you're giving plenty of space to other vehicles out on the road. And, uh, yeah, with all that in mind, guys, we will see you this Friday for the next big episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then.